Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Breaking Down the Doors, where we talk all things Vanderbilt athletics, specifically football this week. Got a special treat for you today, and also our next episode spoke with the two new coordinators for Vanderbilt football. Uh, Vanderbilt hired offensive coordinator Todd Fitch and also defensive coordinator Ted Roof and uh, spent a little time with them. They just got into town. They're just in their offices, and they were kind enough to sit down and just spend a few minutes with the Tennessean. Um, let me give you a little background on Todd Fitch, and that's the one we're going to talk about first in this this edition of the podcast. Todd Fitch is a longtime offensive coordinator. He's been at East Carolina. He's been at South Florida, Boston College. Most recently, he was at Louisiana Tech. Uh, he's been coordinator at all those places. He's most closely tied to Skip Holtz, a uh, longtime head coach, the son of uh, son of Lou Holtz. Todd Fitch has been around. Even before he was a coordinator, he was on uh, Lou Holtz's staff at South Carolina. He's been a college coach since the uh, the mid-'80s. He's got a pretty good track record and uh, had a whole lot of success this past year with one of the better offenses in college football at Louisiana Tech. Uh, just a few tidbits that you'll hear in my conversation with Todd Fitch. Uh, we talked about uh, coaching former Tennessee Titans great Chris Johnson. He coached him at East Carolina. We talked about Vanderbilt's quarterbacks just a little bit and what his plans are with them. We talked about his long partnership with Skip Holtz. He's been with Skip, uh, I think, 19 of the last 24 years. And that got us to, I think, the most interesting topic for Vandy fans. Is that has Todd Fitch been a play caller? Has he been merely uh, offensive coordinator in title? That's been a pretty good uh, point of conversation in his hiring. Skip Holtz is a guy that's known as his own play caller. But Todd Fitch actually um, had a different recollection. I think it's going to be interesting to you about how much he called plays in his two decades with Skip Holtz and how much Holtz called plays. Because obviously Todd Fitch is going to be the primary play caller and offensive coordinator uh, for Vanderbilt. So without further ado, here is my conversation with new Vanderbilt offensive coordinator, Todd Fitch. Todd, um, I'm sure you've heard this already, but uh, welcome to Nashville. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, why Vandy? You could have had a lot of opportunities. Why, why Vanderbilt? Uh, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things come to mind. Obviously, I have an opportunity to coach at the highest level in, in, in a great conference. I've had the opportunity to coach in this conference once before. So, you know, as a competitor, you want that opportunity. I think you know some people look at schools like Vanderbilt and say, well, there's a negative to it because of maybe the academics and who you can recruit and who you can't. But I think it's a positive because if you find the right mixture of people that who are elite athletes that are highly driven and, and want to be great at everything they do, which you need to be at a place like this, then you have a chance to you know to really build something special. And you know that attracts me. You know I've coached at all different kind of schools and working with guys like that is fun and I enjoy that. And then, you know, it's about people. You know, I didn't know Coach Mason, you know, face-to-face. You know, I knew of him, obviously. But uh, when I had a chance to have a phone conversation with him and then have a chance to sit down and meet with him, you know, you walk away with an impression of people. I had a good job. I was working for a guy that I'd worked with a lot in the past. We just won 10, and they're going to be good again. I mean, it wasn't like I was running from anything. Uh, and it just, But it was just the right time in my life and, and, uh, and the right opportunity, you know. And it's going to be a great challenge. But... You know, I like to say with great challenges come great opportunities, and we're looking forward to it. You you mentioned Skip Holtz. You've been with him for a number of years. Mm-hmm. I almost see that as kind of an offensive partnership mm-hmm. over the years because uh, you all succeeded at different schools. Sure. Um, is that the way you look at it, or have you guys always kind of been a tag team of how to develop offenses? It kind of looks that way. Now, we've separated at times, and, like, 
probably what's helped that relationship, to be honest with you, because when the offense kind of took its first staging, if you will, at South Carolina, we switched at South Carolina, and it's grown a ton since then, obviously. But when I would go away and take another job, I'd come back and say, you know what, we did this, and we were really good at this, and maybe whoever he was working with did something. So the pieces have been added, and it probably kept us somewhat sane from each other, you know, because you take a little break every once in a while. But, yeah, it's, it, we've worked a lot, and we've worked well together, and, and uh, you know, it's just been a deal that, you know, it's always meshed. Now, from afar, I've had the impression that he's been his own play caller within games. Uh, I don't know if that's the yeah. case or not. Uh, but with with the caveat that uh, offensive coordinator is more than just calling the play mm-hmm. 60 times on yeah. game day, mm-hmm. will this be different for you here in being the every play, every game play caller? won't be different because I've done it. There's been times with him that I've called every play. There's been times with him that he's called some. There's been times – Probably uh, the last year or two, I've called probably almost every third down red zone call, part of the first downs. It's a deal that, because our relationship is so long, uh, that I would give basically he'd want to play every play, he'd use it or not use it kind of deal sometimes. And I'd, I'd formulate you know all the plans by the game week, and he would take the sheet and kind of look at the sheet and go from there. And and uh, and it really varied by game to be honest with you. But no, I've done you know I've done it both ways. And when I was at East Carolina, I, I called them all. South Florida, I called, called, if not all, 90% of them, and it's just been a blend of things. When I left him and came back to Tech, he had taken it over, and he didn't want to disrupt that totally, but it's, that's how it, that's it evolved, so it won't be a new, uh, new situation for me at all. I covered a group of five conferences for mm-hmm. 10, 15 years, Sunbelt Conference USA, mm-hmm. and I always thought those mid-major conferences were more innovative in offense at times, mm-hmm. were a little ahead of things in terms of uh, spread and matchups, utilizing mm-hmm. shotgun a whole lot more, using, utilizing tempo, mm-hmm. and that's some of the conferences you've been in. You've been in the SEC, but that's mm-hmm. some of the conferences you've been in. Do you see it that way? That maybe you've been in more innovative offenses over the last fifteen years. I think there's several types of offenses. I think um, ten, fifteen years ago, that'd probably be a true statement. But if you look at college football and to the Big Ten, to the you know Pac-10, 12, what you know, everybody's kind of evolved. The Big 12 is the leader of the pack, you know, and it's a Power Five, you know, and there's teams within this league that are are different, you know, Old Miss and what A&M's done in this league. So I think it's more wide-ranging than it used to be. Like I said, 10, 15 years ago, I'd probably agree with your statement, but there are certain conferences that are wide open. Louisiana Tech, for example, where I came from, has traditionally been a great passing school for years. I just wouldn't since we've been there. You know, we've had some unbelievable receivers and numbers. You know. I think my first year there was the first time in football history we had over two fifteen hundred yard receivers, four thousand yard passing, a thousand yard back, and it had never been done in college football. But we had good skilled players, and that was the style we played there. But you have to morph yourself, and that goes back to what kind of spread. You know, the word spreads overused, but what kind of spread? This is a very multiple one. At South Florida, you know, we were based out of a whole different personnel grouping, running some of the same stuff. So. The beauty of it is that there's uh, there's those things you talked about uh, that are what you consider innovative, but that it's very flexible, so we can fit it to how we need to fit it with our personnel. So do you feel like you need to uh, be something different here than what Vanderbilt has done, or do you feel like you need to blend into what this conference is? I think you need to do what your players do well. You know, that's what you get lost in sometimes. You know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm a pro-21 team, I'm a going to run down their throat, well, you know what, if that's not what your personnel does, you better have the flexibility in your system to, to fit it because it, people forget this, it's about the players. And you have to find a niche for what your guys can do. You used to have a saying, give your players something they can do. 
I could say I want to be dropped back into it 60 times here at Vanderbilt, but you know what? We may not be able to do that, you know, so that's that's really, uh, to answer your question, that's what we got to do. Now, within our system, there's enough flexibility to do that, but yes, we do want to do some things differently, you know, uh, that maybe they've been doing here for the last, you know, five, six, seven years, uh, so we're looking forward to introducing those things, but uh, we're, at the end of the day, we're going to do what gives our kids a chance to, we, we'll talk about two things. We got to do two, we got two jobs. We got to win and we got to score points. So whatever the best way to do that is, we're going to do it. And you've had enough stops, I would imagine, now that you can hearken back to, I've done it in a different way here yeah. or there, yeah. and have a variety in your toolbox, yeah. so to speak. I had a uh, chance to work uh, with Steve Adazio at Boston College, who was very much like Stanford. At that time, we were we had a great tailback who finished third or fourth in the Heisman, and we were a 22 team, a 21 team, and just experienced some of the run game stuff we did there. So I've, you know, we had we played one receiver on the field sometimes. It was all ACC guy, got you know 50, 60 balls, great player. But we play him by himself out there, and we had tight ends and wings running around out there. So the one beauty of it is when you have those opportunities, you see some different things, and you kind of blend those ideas in your back of your head and incorporate them. Uh, like I give the example, we had a little bit more of a pro passing game there at BC from the history. Ryan Day was with me there, and Ryan's obviously gone. He's doing pretty well, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he, he's doing <laughs> yeah, fine. He's doing all right. But we had some routes we put in there that used some of our receivers that we had never really done in skip and I offense. When I went back to Tech with Skip, we incorporated him. We had a receiver, Trent Taylor, who's from his parents lived right around here. He was a fifth-round draft pick by the 49ers, led the nation in receiving his senior year. That's 130 or something. And we put in two of those concepts that I took from BC, that Louisiana Tech, and he tore up the league. We opened up at Arkansas, and I think he had 150 yards of receiving against Arkansas in the opening game. And I bet you 130 of it was routes we brought back from BC. So that's how you know things blend. We've never done it before. We were a good passing team before. We I took something from BC, plugged it in there, and really became a state. We're still running at Louisiana Tech now. I think it's interesting that you mentioned Boston College because you had two good years, offensive years mm-hmm. at Boston College. The last year, the, the, the yeah. numbers show it wasn't good. That, yeah. But you took positives from there and, right. and put, took them to the next place. If you don't learn from what happens to you, and what happened to us is we lost our quarterbacks. We The one quarterback we had got hurt. He broke his leg against Florida State. And then we were playing a walk-on, and we had an all-new line. Like, they had a really good line in the last two years. Those guys were, like, all freshmen. So... If you go back to what I mentioned five minutes ago, it's still about the players. And then you, when you have a injury or whatever you have to – what I learned from there is you better be creative enough to find a way to win hmm. because things are going to bad happen to you. You know, you can't control injuries. You can't control things like that. And I don't care what you say. If a guy tells you he doesn't learn from a scenario, then he's, he's not very smart. Like I think the best coaching job in America this year, and I wasn't in the league, was University of Kentucky. For them to win seven games or whatever they won without a quarterback, Yeah. That, you can tell me all you want about, and I know Joe Brady and LSU, and I know all those guys, and they've done a fantastic job. But what they did at Kentucky is as impressive that, on offense that I've seen in a long, long time. And so those experiences only, I think, hopefully make you better as you move forward. You, you also coached uh, Chris, uh, Chris Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, Titan great at Eastern Carolina. So if mm-hmm. you've got a running back that runs a four two five forty, you'll know how to, you'll know how to yeah, utilize it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a funny story, though. Uh, I was telling one of the coaches here, we was asking about him. Chris wasn't even our leading rusher the first three ball games. We had another senior with him. Got young, nobody knows him by the name of Dominic Lindsay, just a good college player. They were same class. We played, opened at Virginia Tech. Dominic had more yards against him. Played somebody the second game. Dominic had more yards against him. I'll never forget it. It was the first series of the game against the University of North Carolina at Greenville. We were third and 17. We threw him the slow screen, and he took it 
76 yards for a touchdown. He never looked back. He took off and he had an unbelievable season the rest of the year, and that's where he hit it. But it wasn't until the third ball game that he caught traction. Uh, as we go through it, uh, that is. But uh, you know, and that's just how it evolved. It wasn't like Chris was our guy. You know, I mean, I mean, he was one of our guys, but he didn't click until game three. You never know. Uh, last thing, uh, Jamar Smith, you're a quarterback mm-hmm. at La Tech this year, yep. uh, Conference USA Offensive Player of the Year, broke yes. a whole lot of bu- a bunch of records. I read something about you taking over quarterbacks yep. and how he said you were more demanding than any position coach he had had. And he said that in a positive way. He gave you credit for mm-hmm. kind of pushing him this past season. Yeah. Explain that. Are you demanding? Are you hard? Are you? How are you with quarterbacks? Well, here's the evolution of it. When I came back with Coach Holtz, the year I actually came back with him, he had a really good staff. There was a guy on staff by the name of Tim Ortega, who was an all-time great NFL player, mm-hmm. great, great player at Louisiana Tech, and he had just moved into quarterbacks. And I got, he goes, I want to give you that. I said, no, let's leave it to Tim. So I kind of floated, and I worked with the receivers. I've coached all the skill guys. So Tim had an opportunity to leave last year, and so Skip wanted me to go to the quarterback. So Tim had done a great job with him. And, but, you know, everybody's style is different. You know, I'm a big believer in, 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 in coaching Hard. When I say hard, I want to be very demanding about the way we want things done, not yelling and screaming at a guy. And believe in if you make a player better fundamentally, then everything else comes together. He gains confidence. And for a quarterback, his accuracy and percentages weren't great. He had flashes of being a really good player because he's really talented, but was kind of an up-and-down guy. Emotionally, he was an up-and-down guy. He ended up throwing with drops figured in. I think he finished a regular season at like 67%. Um, like 18 touchdown four picks and two of them were off screens that were one off a guy's foot and one off a tip against Texas you know so I think he was talking about that he saw his game grow and I just like to think the way that I try to be consistent day to day and demand them to try to achieve to be the best that they can possibly be is kind of how it resolved. How do you you know you're going to inherit some quarterbacks that haven't played very much but then three new ones a junior college guy two freshmen how do you feel about the idea of clean slate type quarterbacks? Yeah, with no past or anything here, just like yeah. you. There's 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 positives to it because you can kind of mold a guy, especially the younger guys who haven't played college football. You can mold that. There's going to be growing pains and frustrations and all that. But I think what you have to do is throw everything at them, kind of see what they can absorb early in this process, and at the same time you have to say what I go back to what we talked about a few minutes ago. What do they do well? It may, I may want to do more with the offense than they can possibly do, but you still have to go back and say, if he doesn't understand it, when it gets time to play games for real, you got to throw it out. You know what I mean? And it, it will come down the road maybe, but it's not time to do that right now. So really do a great job teaching with them, you know, so they understand what we try to do, how we do things, because we'll be different, be new learning in terms of verbiage and everything for anybody that's been in the program. And then really just keep on being consistent. you got to continue to be consistent with the message because there's going to be ups and downs, you know, and it's not going to be a smooth sale for guys that haven't played. But if you're consistent and continue to give the same message, you know, I always say players will respond to you coaching hard if you coach them hard when they're doing well as well as doing it when they're struggling. And the guys turn you off is when you only coach hard when they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And if they do it right, you turn your back and say, hey, good job. <laughs> they're like, well, wait, wait a minute now. You better celebrate when they do it right too. Yeah. And then, then you have a good relationship with your players.
All right, and again, we appreciate Todd Fitch talking with us. I appreciate Vanderbilt giving us the time with him now that he just got to town. That does it for this edition of Breaking Down the Doors. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And drop us a review and a rating. We like five stars. I'm Adam Sparks. We'll see you next time.